And as always, I am the backup of this. Cool. Appreciate that. And as always, I'm just sitting and listening. (laughs) You need to start pulling your weight around here, goddammit. I am, you know, I weigh too much. (laughs) It's no easy to. It's a good answer. Tonight I'm going true back to the bin style. I do not have a written synopsis. I do not either. I don't need one for mine. (laughs) But there is a five-page section in my comic that you're going to absolutely love, Scott, Uh when I I get through it. We're making a mystery book system. Yeah, we're going true true back to the bins because I don't know what anybody brought. Well, no, I take that back. I know... Well, the you brought a hero that Paul brought, but I don't know what issue it is. Well, if you, if you guys want to know, I don't mind telling you. Um, no, save it for the show. Why, I'll leave it up to Scott. Whatever he says, I'm I'm fine with. Why why blow it now? We've gone this long. Because uh, never mind. Because <laughs> why? You were you were about to say something rude, weren't you? I was about to, but I couldn't think of anything funny. So <laughs> I decided against it. That's so now you got the DC, Mike. Yes, I have the DC. And- and you have the indie, right, Scott? Yep. Now, I remember, you know, we were talking last time about uh, the indie books, and uh, I was saying, basically, my definition of, of indie is, even if it's published by Marvel or DC, if it's not part of the universe proper, I consider it an indie. Pretty much, uh, yeah. Is, is that a good definition for the show, as far as you guys are concerned? That's, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, yes, absolutely. Okay, because that widens my ability to come up with issues when I have the indie book dramatically. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have... I'm sorry, go ahead. The important thing is here is that we we, we don't want to stress about the books we're going to choose. We want to have this to be fun and, and, you know, just a fun process because that's the whole point of the show. So, uh, you know, definitely don't want you sitting there stressing out about what books you're going to choose because that just kind of takes the fun out of it. I don't think any of the three of us have a a large independent selection so i mean i'm not going to stress too much about the indie stuff if it if it gets to a point of i just can't find something then you know i'll just i'll make it some really wacky you know marvel or dc book just to shake things up that much more you know what i mean just to piss everyone off i thought it might be interesting to try since it's not stepping on your star trek monthly monday uh, shoes at all uh to try one of the gold key star trek books one time since you don't you do knock those. yourself out. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, you have I, fun I with that. Yeah, I haven't read one of those in years. I have no idea if they're even readable. Um, not in not in my Good book. <laughs> Good luck. I have a collection. Uh, actually, I think I have a couple collections. Those um, Enterprise logs that they put out. That that <laughs> log. Yeah. Oh, those. those well, are yeah, just, the, yeah, those are reprints of the earlier issues. Right? Yeah. Yeah, they're a log. All right. <laughs> Well, I said I might try one. I mean, if I can't get through it, then I just drop it and well, go to something else. See, that could be fun to bring in for a show, though. Just that fact that, you know, okay, this is the book I brought, and here's the deal. I got uh, five pages in, and it sucked so hard I couldn't finish it. And then we talk about that, you know? So, it's, yeah, I mean. It's a possibility. All right. You want me to bring it in, or you want to bring Who wants to bring it in? Uh, well, I brought I it in two it episodes ago, so. What would you say, Paul? I said I haven't brought it in yet. Okay, that's what I was thinking, but I wasn't sure. I didn't want to put you on the spot. This is episode 90. Okay. How did we decide to set this up? The Marvel goes first, or did we make a decision? Marvel goes first, Marvel then goes DC, first. then okay. Uh, Indy. Okay, all right, that works. Okay, hi everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. We're on episode number 90. I'm Paul Spataro, and I'm here with my two good friends, Scott Gardner. Hey. And Michael Bailey. I like pie. 
<laughs> how are you boys doing today? Oh, semi-retarded. Lee, how are you? Right. I'm doing... I'll, I'm I'll, doing ag- I'll agree with that. <laughs> I'll have what he's having. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's always good when we start laughing, because the yes. episode usually just degenerates from there. <laughs> As somebody who listened to a lot of this, I, I didn't realize how much s- kind of silliness goes on before you ever actually start recording. So you get yourself set for kind of a giggle it's fit the before you even up. start. Yeah. It, it, it really is. And Scott and I especially do this where, you know, just because we don't get to catch up with each other through the course of the week, you know, it's nice just to sit there and BS, but you get into little conversations and you get to laughing and the energy level just gets up and then you go into the show and it's just, it just flows. So that's how I like doing it. Mm-hmm. Works for me. Absolutely. So now we are planning to do our special episode, but uh, still putting that one off, am I right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> We are bumping that and bumping that because the more you look at the how many how many, how many books you have to read, the more you go, wow, that's a lot of books I have to read. So I'm thinking at this point that might end up being like episode 100, 200, 300, somewhere in that. 350. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Actually, I was thinking of having Andy Leyland's kid and, and Scotty do it just because <laughs> by the time they're our ages, that's, uh, that's about when it'll get done. <laughs> Uh, I guess we're going back to the traditional episode. Sweet. In more ways than one. Hmm? Because we don't don't know what anybody brought this time. Oh, yeah. That's true. It's it's a mystery wrapped into enigma inside a riddle. I think Abraham Lincoln said that. (laughs) Yeah. Right before he said, what's that sound? (laughs) Is there somebody behind me? Um... I, I ever tell you my connection to Abraham Lincoln's assassination? It, somebody held a horse, right? Yeah, my great-great-great-grandfather had to leave town afterwards because anybody that was associated with the assassination was basically killed, <laughs> for lack of a better term. So, uh, Had he stayed in town, we might not be doing this podcast right now. Yeah, yeah. He probably looks a lot like me, just dressed like back then. <laughs> Well, in my mind, I always go to, like, the sitcoms when they have the flashback episodes of that, and that's exactly what they do. They just have the same actors, just in old-timey clothes. Right. So I just picture Mike Bailey standing there holding a horse. <laughs> then then he comes up, gets on the horse, rides away. Son of a bitch didn't tip me. <laughs> and then, meanwhile, you know, the, the law enforcement come out and drag you, your ass into jail. <laughs> This is Mordecai Bailey with the Horse Holding Podcast, episode 273. You won't believe the shit that happened to me this week. <laughs> Mordecai Bailey. <laughs> Come on, Mordecai, let's get her. <laughs> so who's got the Marvel book? I got the Marvel book this week. Yay. And I'm going to... Make this my weekly reference to Andy Leyland on the show because I was going to pick the magazine-sized Spectacular Spider-Man number two until I was listening to Hey Kids comics <laughs> and Andy Leyland did that issue. So did a very good job with it as well. Me. And I'm going to throw in a little side tidbit before I get to my issue. I was listening to Comics Monthly Monday today, and Mike, you mentioned that you just got Hulk number two hundred. Uh huh. 
And if you look carefully in that, you will find a very poorly worded and very poorly thought out letter by somebody named Paul Spataco, who is <laughs> me, but for some reason my handwriting was so bad, they put a C at the end of my name instead of an R. Awesome. What issue is that, 200? Uh, it's just a anniversary issue. It's 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 barely an anniversary issue. It's it's um what's on the, the Hulk? Cover? Um, it's the Hulk and Banner like standing there together, and behind them is like the the floating heads of Marvel of all the other characters in the Hulk's life at the time. Is he, it a red he, cover? Uh, no, it's white. No, it's white with oh, thick, with faces all over it. I'm not sure. That was like the traditional anniversary cover thing. They did that on Spider-Man 100 with the face behind him. Uh, Yeah, it was was a kind of a poorly contrived thing where he wore this helmet that made him see images of all his old villains and think he was fighting them. But shrunk down because only the Hulk could survive in the brain of Matt of uh, Glenn Talbot. Oh, that's right. So he went in there and went savage in the middle of it because something went wrong, and it was uh, this is a pretty decent story. But like you know, when 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 you see that cover, your your expectations go up. So that was back in the days, you know, I was probably I guess thirteen, fourteen years old, and I was writing into like almost every issue I read, you know, in hopes of getting a letter printed. And when they finally printed one, they printed one of the poorest written. Like I said, most most poorly thought out letters that I sent in, and that's the one they decided to print. I like Why Hulk. Is this- Hulk is pretty. I like Hulk because he's green. I like Hulk because he smashes. <laughs> Could you have some smash something green? Thank you, Paul. <laughs> I don't think it was that well thought out. <laughs> <laughs> Hugs and kisses. But I'm still in there. So, I ended up picking for today Luke Cage Hero for Hire number nine. The May 1973 issue. It's got a 20 cent cover price. The cover is drawn by somebody named Billy Graham. I don't think it's the televangelist, uh, but I'm not familiar with his work otherwise. Uh, and it's not not a bad cover. It's but the same guy. Yeah. Shortly after working on Luke Cage, he, he got religion, and that that was all she wrote. It was the sweet Christmas thing, and <laughs> <laughs> it just it just happened. We don't he was inspired by it. But uh, not not a great cover. Dr. Doom looks really, really stiff, and he's shooting rays out of his gauntlet at Luke and saying, none may invade my kingdom. Here it is I who have the power, the power of life and death. The uh, story is written by Steve Englehart. The art is by George Tuska, and it is inked by Billy Graham. Letters by <laughs> D. Vladimir and colors by Stan G., and it's edited by Roy Thomas. The story opens up with Luke battling the Fantastic Four. Uh, this is the Fantastic Four with Medusa as the fourth member, not Sue Storm, because Sue had uh, left Reed for making uh, Franklin into a vegetable at the time. Uh, Luke was holding his own against them, and he even brought the thing down before he was restrained by Reed Richards. He explained that he came to borrow a rocket so that he could put the screws to Dr. Doom. Reed was kind of amused by it and allowed him to take a pogo plane. The plane was set to autopilot to take him to Latveria. As he arrived, the plane is met by a monitor mirage image of Dr. Doom, who states that the Fantastic Four is trying to come in and that they wouldn't allow that. The ship is forced down, and Luke is attacked by Dr. Doom's soldiers, 
who are wearing outfits that make the AIM scientist beekeeper outfits look stylish. <laughs> as, the, as they battle, a horde of robots come and attack the soldiers. The robots bring Luke to their leader, the faceless one. He's an alien with a huge gold globe head. He explains that he's leading the robot revolt in Latveria. And through the magic of footnotes, we learn that he attempted to revolt and failed in Astonishing Tales number one through three, which I've read those at some time, but I have no memory of that story whatsoever. (laughs) So it wasn't so astonishing after all. No, not at all. He asks for Luke's help in the revolt and says that Luke wouldn't be able to breach the defenses of the castle on his own anyway. So Luke leads the robots on their assault. He reaches the throne room where Doom says, When my men reported a crazy black man in the Fantastic Four's craft, I knew it had to be you. <laughs> now, in, in the prior issue, apparently, uh, Dr. Doom had hired Luke to do something and stiffed him at the end. And that's why he was going to let Varia here. So as soon as Luke sees him, he says, Where's my money, honey? <laughs> so you, you can't argue with scripting like that. Right here, dear. Doom is basically apoplectic that Luke would do all of this for a $200 debt and they start to fight Doom starts getting the upper hand but Luke starts to pound on Doom's chest and Doom states that he forged the armor to withstand anything except repeated stress on a solitary point which seems to me to be a pretty significant design flaw (laughs) anyway the, the pounding has rendered Doom's weapons power inoperable and at that moment, the globe-headed alien comes out, and he tries to kill Doom. Surprisingly, Doom is pretty much resigned to the th- thought that he's going to die, when Luke, because he's a man of honor, can't stand by and watch another man be murdered, so he attacks the Faceless One. Then the Faceless One shifts into like a spider form, still with the giant globe head, and skitters away. Luke, Luke lets Doom know that he still wants his money, and Doom is kind of amused by his determination. He offers to hire Luke for another assignment, but Luke refuses and thanks him for saving his life. Uh, He pays Luke the $200 and lets him leave, telling him not to return. As he leaves, Luke sees robots entering the castle, but doesn't pay attention to them. We see Doom greeting them, and then we see a distant shot from the outside of the castle and hear shots, or have the written sound of shots, uh, but we're basically not told what occurred. Luke returns to New York and to the Baxter building where the Thing asks him what happened. Luke doesn't want to discuss it. The Thing comes at him with a newspaper and says, you know, tell me what happened. Luke tells him to come by his office the next morning. And he leaves. And at that point we see the headline which says that Doom single-handedly crushed a robot revolt. And that's how the story ends. (laughs) So what we have here is Bronze Age goodness. And uh, kind of the... The, the tone of a black exploitation film, because some of the dialogue in this thing is just hysterical. Uh, the artwork, on the other hand, is really B-level at best. George Tuska is not one of my favorite artists at all. No, me either. Uh, especially the way he draws the Fantastic Four, it's really bad. I don't know if you guys have this issue. but uh, Unfortunately, no. I am... I am bereft of many Luke Cage appearances, unfortunately. I was just reading something with Tuska Art the other day that actually surprised me because it, it wasn't horrible. Because most everything <laughs> else I've ever read with George Tuska, I'm just like, ah, oh, not this guy again. 
happened. I yep. can't remember what it was. It might have been Planet of the Apes magazine, but I can't. I honestly can't remember. But it, yeah, he, he's yeah, he's not one of my faves either. I, I've actually seen an ad for a book, you know, The Art of George Tusca, and even <laughs> even the pictures or the images in the ad, I look at and say that's that's terrible. Why would anybody want to buy a collection of this? Right. So Is that one of those it. um um tomorrow's books? It might be. I'm not sure. It sounds it's like something tomorrow's yeah. would do. I mean, uh, I appreciate their their, you know, being thorough and authoritative and stuff like that. And I mean, they've covered a lot of ground, but I mean, I I've seen some of those books that they've done like that. Like they've got that one, they've got one on like Vinnie Coletta and stuff and I'm like Oh, you know, I haven't seen an apparel book, you know, I haven't seen this artist and that artist, and, you know, here we got ones for George Tusca and Vinnie Coletta. What the hell's up, guys, you know? Thanks, everybody. Mm. Peace. <laughs> let's let's rush out and get a Don Heck one. Oh, my another, God. Another, another one of Don, my least favorites. The Don Heck um, Vinnie Coletta collection. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that would just be horrible. Uh, it would make the baby Jesus cry, is what it would do. <laughs> so, I've heard about this story that that you just did. I've I've heard the legend of it before, but I've never. I don't think I've ever actually read it. It sounds like a hoot, though. Oh, it definitely is. And when I did, when I when I picked this one, I just did a quick like internet search, and somebody I have no idea what website it is, but somebody had the top ten moments in Luke Cage history. And that was number one. The, uh, the 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 scene when he when he goes to Doom and he says, "Where's my money, honey?" That was his number one moment. And of course, if that was written today, it would ha- it would be Brian Michael Bendis going, "Where's my money, bitch?" Biatch. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then backhanding Doom. And now I just need Andy Leyland going, "No one backhands Doom. Doom is no one's bitch." So. I guess this is in the day back when you know Doom had to appear in everybody's magazine at some point just to give them a little credibility you know right yeah because i remember when they did that with the dazzler dazzler yes you know she had no business even being in the same city as dr doom but they still had her i think you know she blinded him and defeated him somehow did she blind him with science (laughs) and then she blinded him with disco (laughs) disco i don't know if rom ever fought dr doom Seems like a natural pairing. It does, yeah. The whole armor thing and all that. Or like Team America. Team America versus Doctor Doom. That'd be awesome. America! (laughs) He could just fry the bunch of them. Well, they'd have to all form their one... What Didn't they get together and form like one stronger hero? Yeah, it was like the Black Marauder or something like that. Yeah, and I remember when they were brought into the early issues of the New Mutants. I was like, wow. Thanks, Chris. Oh, were they in there? I, I got to read Yeah, because they, they were revealed to be mutants. See, free- and, uh-huh. and their power was to summon the Black Marauder, who oh, they couldn't control. God. So they, they started hanging out at the X-Mansion and being trained by Professor X. And it was just like, <laughs> wow, I like this group, Chris. Why did you bring in Team America? <laughs> <laughs> You know what's funny is on uh, on Free Comic Book Day, the other comic shop that I went to, the one that's not my LCS, I went in there just, you know, just because it was Free Comic Book Day and George Perez was going to be there and all this stuff. And I went in, and I don't normally shop there because, you know, let's face it, their prices are absolutely friggin' ridiculous. 
But I was digging through. They had some uh, some 50-cent boxes and stuff. And I'm digging through. And they had a special deal going. I can't remember what it was now. But it was actually a pretty decent deal. It was a, it was a deeper discount than just 50 cents. And I went through and I picked out several books. And I got a complete run of all the issues that I lacked of Team America, which was pretty much all of them. And I thought, you know what the hell? I'm going to pick this up just because it's dirt cheap. And if nothing, it'll be good for a laugh. Maybe I'll even cover it on you know Back to the Bins or something. Went up to the counter to pay for it, and the guy was like, yeah, we have a five-buck minimum on uh, on credits. And I was like, well, screw it then. I was like, dude, seriously? You're going to turn down somebody that wants to buy the entire run of Team America. I mean, think about this before you send me away, okay? Because this might be your only opportunity to ever divest yourself of these issues. <laughs> I see both sides of that argument, unfortunately. <laughs> Still there, Paul? Yeah, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. What happened? Uh, we lose you? You lost me for a second, but I'm back. Sweet. All right, so that's all I got on this one. <laughs> all right. All righty, I guess I'm next. And I, too, have gone to the Bronze Age for my comic book choice, my DC comic. It's the world's greatest superheroes, guys. The Justice League of America. Number da, 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 da. one. From August 1973, Scott was five. I don't know how old Paul was. I was August, I was ten. Anyways, the place, a gigantic (laughs) satellite whirling in stationary orbit 22,300 miles above the surface of the Earth. The occasion, a hastily called emergency meeting of... The Justice League of America. And for those who came in late, seven of our Star Wars have just returned from the Florida Everglades following their offbeat battle with the pliable, get this, putty men. Are they silly putty men? (laughs) Yeah, they they just land land on the heroes, peel off, and they become clones of them. Actually, that's not a bad idea. (laughs) That's not a bad idea. (laughs) So, So basically... The Justice League was getting their butts kicked by the Putty Men, and then at the last minute, Red Tornado in his purple and and red outfit before he got the clown pants suit um, shows up and helps them out, so they bring him back up to Justice League headquarters and basically is like, dude, What's going on? You were, you, you know, we had that whole thing with the with the JSA, and you disappeared, and we didn't know where you were. So what's up? So basically, what happened is that the Red Tornado, during his battle with um, with the Nebula Rod, which just sounds dirty, got knocked back to Earth One and was found by a blind man who basically nursed him back to health and somehow sculpted a new head for him. But this is all explained later. And every time Red Tornado tries to return to Earth 2, he gets bounced back. So then we find out that for an android, the Red Tornado is kind of an asshole. Because he says, I came searching for you then, but knowing your low opinion of me, I, I helped keep I helped your cause in secret. Deciding the sooner you defeated the Putty Men, the sooner you'd have time for me. And Flash goes, Tornado, that's not fair. Just just because we failed to listen to you once. And this is what he says. Yes, and that failure caused the death of Black Canary's husband. But enough, enough of such grim things. And they have a, a panel of, of 
Black, uh, Black Canary looking all sad. So basically it's like, <laughs> hey, your husband's dead. But let's not talk about that right now. So then we, uh, the Justice League, for some reason, despite the fact that they didn't trust Red Tornado, immediately vote him in as a member, which pisses, <laughs> which pisses off Green Arrow, who's all like, wait a minute, is this group becoming a refugee camp for Earth 2 outcasts? And Hawkman totally calls him on it and says, yeah, you weren't saying that when the pretty blonde girl was being voted in, you douchebag. That's not the exact dialogue but it's how it played out in my head so he's voted in and batman congratulates him and of course we have the ominous quote quote excellent now i can destroy them all <laughs> and that is when we get the story title wolf in the fold written by lynn ween drawn by dick dylan and dick giordano oh i hope this has piglet getting possessed by jack the river in it that'd be awesome <laughs> Red Jack, Red Jack, Red Jack, Red Jack, Red Jack! Um, So then we cut to Professor Thomas Oscar Morrow. T.O. Morrow. Yeah. And he basically has taken somewhat control of the Red Tornado. Because it turns out that he looked at his little machine that tells him about future stuff. And this is after we get the whole origin of the Red Tornado and how Thomas Oscar Morrow built him, blah, 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 blah. And, and he apparently got a, pre- a premonition through his machine that says, In precisely 28 days, the cosmic balance will shift and either T.O. Morrow or the Justice League will cease to exist. For the Justice League to be destroyed, a new member must be added to its ranks. So it turns out that this whole thing with Red Tornado is just a ruse on the part of T.O. Morrow, who has gotten together with some of the Clean Bees old gang, built a bunch of future tech, and has put in, uh, in motion a plan to destroy the Justice League. And basically he's going to do it like this. He gave, uh, he messed with Red Tornado's JLA signal device. Uh, and when he, when the Red Tornado activates the device, it's going to put out this thing that is actually going to kill the Justice League. So if the Red Tornado calls on the Justice League, it's going to be their doom. So then the, the, uh, Queen Bee's gang attacks with this, you know, super transforming tank. And the Red Tornado is fighting them, fighting them, fighting them. We get pages and pages and pages of this. And just as he is about to activate his JLA signal device, he gets a green hand stopping him. And that's when Green Lantern, The Flash, and Batman all show up independently of each other, saying that they were just there checking up on Red Tornado and give him a hand. And apparently, this even though they take down the villains and the bad guys are taken to jail, the Red Tornado is kind of resentful of this, saying, you know, why were you checking up on me? And they're like, dude, you were going to call us for help. And he's like, that's not the point. And that's when you realize that the, teen, that the Red Tornado is like that ju- jackass you knew in high school that you would apply any kind of logic to, and they would immediately argue about it with you. (laughs) I really don't like the Red Tornado in this story, by the way. Um, It's really not helping his cause of of me liking the character. So they take him back up to the uh, JLA headquarters, where Red Tornado reams everybody out, and they're basically like... Uh, hey, dude, you know, it's kind of weird that, uh, you know, Tio Maro, his faceless minions wore the outfit of the outfits of the guys you just fought. So maybe there's something to do with Tio Maro since, you know, he created you and all. And Red Tornado goes, enough. I have better things to do than stand here and tolerate your veiled accusations. 
and Flash tries to stop him, and Batman says, No, Flash, let him go. It's simpler this way. I have matters to discuss that are not for the Red Tornado's ears. So then we get, in the middle of this story, um, another story entirely of the Red Tornado looking for a job, and this is where he meets... um, Katie Sut- Kathy Sutton for the first time, and a, because she has a, a a business called New York Job Opportunities, and after a really sitcommy type of scene where she goes, name Smith, uh, John Smith, address General Delivery, uh huh, age at the moment I feel like the oldest man alive. Please just answer the questions. Previous employment, freelance law officer. <laughs> Is that a way to say superhero? <laughs> I guess it is. So apparently she feels so bad for him that she takes him out for lunch and gets him a place to stay and pays his first week's rent. What? Yeah. So He needs days, to like marry this chick like right now. In the days that follow, uh, they spend a lot of time for with each other, with his bald head looking at her blonde head. And uh, <laughs> Tio Morrow goes, so the Red Tornado has found himself a girlfriend. Didn't think he had it in him. No matter, though, for he's provided me with numerous new possibilities, and time is running out. So the following morning, Kathy runs up, and she's all excited because she's found him a job. It's not much of a job, really, just a lab, lab assistance to a Dr. Gordon. And that's when the Red Tornado hears a weird sound, which is another bunch of futuristic uh, technology coming and attacking. They hit the crowd with these rays and turns everybody to stone. So the Red Tornado goes into action. He's about to call in the Justice League again when Superman shows up. He saves uh, Kathy from being thrown to the ground and shattered into a thousand pieces. And then it turns out it's actually Elongated Man who has shown up to help out. And then there's Hawkman being Hawkman. We're not going to make fun of Hawkman because Luke, Jack, and Eddie will get pissed. So... The gang hits the Justice League with this weird gas that makes it look like it knocked everybody out. And T.O. Morrow is like, ha ha, I've defeated the Justice League. They are dead by their own hand. I didn't imagine my gas would affect the Red Tornado. I wanted him unconscious to press the signal, but that doesn't matter now. Exactly two hours before the deadline time, and the JLA has ceased to exist. And that's when the door opens, and there is the Justice League. And basically, they've been on to T.O. Morrow from the beginning. Uh, just a little show put on for the benefit, uh, for your benefit, with the help of my power ring. And the Flash adds, we wanted to make sure that you had no other hold on Tornado that we didn't know about. So basically, they made T.O. Morrow think that the Justice League was dead, so that he could reveal if he had any other plans. And that's when the clock goes off, and all of a sudden, T.O. Morrow just ceases to be. Just out of freaking nowhere. Just vanishes. So Hawkman's like, he's vanished. It's a trick. And Batman's like, no, Hawkman. Somehow, I don't think so. And after Morrow's underlings have been jailed and their victims revived, they all apologize to the Red Tornado, who says, well, it's all good. You know, it's an understandable reaction, Batman, when the person you're dealing with is a machine. And Green Lantern says, but you're not a machine, Tornado. Just a bit more vulnerable to certain things than most people are. My own thoughts exactly, Green Lantern. Now, if you fellows will excuse me, Red Tornado, where are you going? Is it something we said? In a way, Ralph Dibney, in a way, I'm going to discover if an android is vulnerable to love. (laughs) The end. 
Next issue, the Justice League of America, the Justice Society of America, and the smashing return of some of the Golden Age finest, Black Condor, Dollman, the Human Bomb, Phantom Lady, the Ray, and Uncle Sam, together for the first time ever to combat the crisis on Earth X. (laughs) That's a good one. That is a good one. Or at least I remember it being a good one. Yeah, why didn't you pick that one? (laughs) Because this one was more fun. I do well, gotta go know, over the ads really quick. Oh, wait, this has some, I, first, I want to okay. know how the hell did the Justice League figure out this plan of T.R. Morrow? Is that ever explained? Not really. Okay, <laughs> it's the Bronze Age. They're just yeah. really intuitive. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I know is if you're if you're a robot who wants to be treated like a human and you want to have a woman fall in love with you when you put on your civilian clothes, make sure you wear an ascot. They all <laughs> fall for that. <laughs> There, there are some great ads. There's a Daisy air rifle ad in here. It shows like a typical teenage boy's room. It's a complete slovenly mess, as a matter of fact. Um, the day Bill told off his boss. I love that ad. <laughs> Get in here, Bill. I want to talk to you. You punched in seven minutes late. I'm docking you an hour's pay, and it better not happen again or else. Oh, yeah? I've got news for you, Mr. Bemis. I've got a new job offer with a real future at twice the money. Ha! Anybody would be crazy to pay you that much. That's what you think. I've been learning electronics in my spare time at home from CIE, and now I can pick my pick of good jobs. You gotta be kidding. You and electronics? Yeah, I've got a good career. CIE made it easy, so goodbye to you and your crummy job. (laughs) What the hell is this ad doing here? I just want to know, why is he still working there, putting up with Mr. Beavis' shit? Why does he just walk in there one day, stand up on his desk, unzip his pants, and piss on him and say, screw you and your shitty job, Mr. Beavis, I'm out of here. Well, would he do it like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> screw you! Screw you! <laughs> you have what you want, give me my job. <laughs> give Bill R. <laughs> There's a... There's a bodybuilding course. And then in the middle of the book, this is really weird. There is a five-page ad for the five new Zap Action Kits from MPC featuring Walt Disney's Pirates Pirates of of the Caribbean. Caribbean. Yes, I love that ad. It's it's like six pages long. And in the middle of it, there's something for diamonds. Diamond set trios for bride and groom. And it's just like, you know, comic fans in the 70s weren't getting married. What are you, huh? No, they, you know, uh, know what they say. Diamonds are a fanboy's best friend, you know. It's the only way they're going to see a nipple without paying a cover charge, <laughs> at least. Um, no, this. I mean, it's just, it's just like this, this ad takes up like a quarter of the book. I love like, that ad, though. You do? Well, it is pretty... I mean, the artwork's pretty cool. So I figured you would know this and would like it. There is an ad for Sea Monkeys, by the way. Because uh, you, you can't have it. There's an ad for Prez. Love the Prez. That's a weird book. Yeah, which I yeah. actually think should be made into a movie today. I see, really do. See, that ad, I, I chanced across that ad again a couple years ago. I was flipping through some old comic and chanced across that ad. And it, it all came back to me because I remember the first time I actually rode the Pirates of the Caribbean and was like, you know, I loved it. But I was also like, why is this so familiar to me? Why do I know so many elements of this thing when I've never been on it in my life? 
And it, it all came back to me from that ad because a lot of elements of that ad are taken from little snippets of scenes from the actual attraction. But I'd, I'd forgotten the ad, you know? I think that's really cool. It is a cool ad. It really is. There is an ad for uh, an issue of Superman, The Man of Tomorrow Clashes with the Army of Tomorrow, and the greatest super epic of today. Great cover. Uh, yeah, you have all those uh, those military guys carrying off Superman and the guy saluting. It's really cool. And it's got that Neil Adams trade dress of Superman flying over the logo. Mm. Is that which Neil I Adams cover? Um, I think it is. I could be wrong on that, so, you know. What's the cover on that one? It's um it's it's a bunch of army guys carrying Superman off while a cat while like an officer is saluting them. Hmm. He's either unconscious or dead. Superman two sixty five. I don't know who yeah. I, I'm trying to picture it but I can't remember what it looks like. There is a letter uh in this issue from Mike W. Barr who would go on to create the Outsiders and write a pretty good healthy chunk of Brave and the Bold as well. Mm -hmm. And there is David Dash from Brooklyn, New York. Spelled D-A. I didn't know him. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're from Brooklyn. You know everybody, right? <laughs> well, that's why I figured I'd, I'd just answer that question right out of the, right out of the shoot. <laughs> There's also an ad for the short-lived Legion of Superheroes book that was around at this time. And on the back cover, an Aurora model kit ad. And you know what, guys? This was a goofy story, okay? But I got the feeling that Lynn Ween was playing this for laughs on purpose. Because the whole thing in the middle with him meeting Kathy Sutton and all that plays more like a sitcom from this era than a superhero book. <laughs> but it's really weird to consider that he showed up at her... You know, he doesn't have a job. She fell in love with him enough to want to feed him and then pay his rent. So, yeah, he really needed to just hook up with that right away. There's a... I'm telling you, it was the ascot. It, it had to be. It's the bald head and the ascot. Because she's like, this man has a lot of testosterone because he has no hair on his head. So I want me some of that. <laughs> So you, you've read this one, Paul? Yes, I have. All right. Uh, have you? It's it. It always just kind of fell on the wayside for me because the issue after the issues, the next two issues after it were always more of my favorites. So I kind of read this one almost fleetingly, but I do remember it pretty well. It's, it's the, not the, bad. I mean, it, it's fun. It's it, it's a just a goofy damn story. <laughs> It didn't seem so goofy. I mean, I probably read this, you know, 20 years ago, and it seemed kind of normal back then. But uh, and I can't even I can't even give the excuse of, oh, you know, 20 years ago, I was a 12 year old. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was, I was in probably in my 20s when I read this and uh, I still liked it. But like I said, the next one had the uh, Freedom Fighters, who I always really mm -hmm. enjoyed. So this one kind of was just, you know, was just there. But then, then the issues after it were the ones that I really went for. Why didn't you pick that one? Because that's the <laughs> obvious one, Scott. I'm the guy who picks the obvious ones. I was just teasing because it seems like... Uh... See, I remember that story. And I like T.L. Morrow a lot. 
but it seems like every one of his stories is the same story. Just slightly, there's slight variations in all of them, but it's, you know, it's it's almost always the same type of thing. It's, you know, he's he's trying to do something behind the scenes to turn Red Tornado against his teammates. I mean, that's he's pretty much a one-note villain, unfortunately. Well, you know, and a lot of villains are like that, unfortunately. When you right. really break it down, I mean, it's it's like, do, do, does every rhino appearance have some, except for when he's written <laughs> by Peter David, does that really go differently for... No, this is true. ...for anything, so... Trick him into running into something that'll knock him out, pretty much, yeah. Oh, even though this is not going to go up... Uh, for probably a week or so. Uh, but at the time of this recording, since I am covering the DC book, I want to wish both Paul and Scott a happy Miracle Monday. Sweet! Oh. So Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted for a second. I saw a picture of Luke Skywalker uh, in the in Ben Kenobi's place looking at the lightsaber. <laughs> looking down into oh, it, yeah. The one and the most dangerous weapon in the galaxy immediately point at face. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that yesterday. So, but no, this was this one was a lot of fun. I'm really, really glad that I, that I picked this because not only was it a lot of fun to read, it was a lot of fun to recap without a written synopsis because it just made the goofier parts of it that much funnier. So, <laughs> I enjoyed it, and that's all I got on mine. All righty, are we ready for mine? We are ready for to the indie. We're all pretty much right in the same era here because mine is from June of 1976. Woo! And uh, we're going with Charlton Comics this time around, or Carlton, depending on your pronunciation. I've always called it Charlton. I was four months old. <laughs> this was all of thirty cents. We got the little uh, Charlton bullseye up there in the corner, and uh, this proclaims itself as all new. This is Doomsday Plus One, number six. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, this is some of the earliest comics work by uh, John Byrne, who, uh, let me see, is he credited? He's actually not credited by name. The credits on this one, it says editor is George uh, Wildman, story by Joe Gill, art by Burn Robotics, not John Byrne, but I, I think that's pretty cool. This is where, you know, the name of his website, you know, that he uses today came from, because in his earliest days, he, a lot of times he would identify himself as Burn Robotics, and colors by uh, Wendy Fior. And uh, the name of the story is All the Beautiful People. Now, a little bit of history here. I've been trying to collect all of the uh, issues of this. There's not very many of them. It wasn't a series that lasted very long. But for some reason, although it's not particularly valuable, it is kind of hard to find. I, I don't know why I still have not been able to fill in all the issues of the series. It's a fun little series. I would love to see somebody bring this back. Hell, I'd like to see Byrne bring it back and kind of revamp it and, and jazz it up a little bit. Because they're interesting stories. It's an interesting premise. It's just they are very... Um, I don't even know how to describe it. They're almost like a Spidey super story, but it's like a Spidey super story with important plot elements missing, you know, because it, it, it's they, they read very simply, but they're always really wacky reads. Like the story just wasn't thought out very well. Like it was more about hitting certain beats. Like you had to see this happen and you had to see that happen and you have to have this other thing happen. But whether or not all the dots really connect to make one cohesive story was kind of inconsequential. 
And so it makes for a very disjointed read. But a little bit of history on the team. This was a, a team book, and it was a, a, a post-apocalyptic story. And you had these three astronauts that were actually in orbit around the Earth when uh, we decide to nuke each other. You know, you got to remember this is, uh, you know, in the in the mid '70s where the fear of uh, you know nuclear annihilation was on everybody's mind and right around the corner, according to all the sci-fi uh, literature and movies of the day. So it has sort of a Planet of the Apes slash Commandy slash Logan's Run feel to it that. You know, these astronauts are in orbit when the bomb hits, so then they come back to Earth and everybody's been annihilated. You know, the the Earth is in ruins and it's it's a post-apocalyptic Earth and they're the last people that are left. Everybody else is, you know, mutated freaks or crazy scientists or aliens or, you know, just all this weird crap that they run into. And they also run into this uh, frozen guy that I've never been able to figure out what exactly he's supposed to be. I don't know if he's supposed to be a caveman or, or what, but his name is uh, Kuno. And he's kind of a cross between, like, Thor, the Hulk, and Captain Caveman. He's just, you know, he's, he's a really weird character. He, he looks a lot like Odin, but he's, he's like Odin wearing, like, Conan's outfit, talks in, like, third-person stilted, you know, goofy hulk speak and he carries this big mace that looks like mjolnir so there's an image for you that's what this dude looks like captain Caveman. <laughs> so he's like the thing stand in on the team and then you've got the leader his name is boyd and he's basically a uh you know it's like if luke skywalker was playing the reed richards role basically You've got the hot redhead who looks a lot like Jean Grey. That her name is Jill. She's kind of the uh, the Sue Storm of the group. And then you've got the uh, the Asian woman. Uh, her name is IKEA, who I guess is kind of <laughs> supposed to be like the hot headed uh, you know Johnny Storm of the group. So it's very much like uh, this bizarre Fantastic Four parallel transposed on a post apocalyptic Earth story. I was about to make a reference that you wouldn't have gotten. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so she's an Asian girl. Like, what is it, Trisha Takanawa? Who's it's a Family Guy thing. Oh, uh, okay. So. so the story starts on a really nice uh, splash page showing the team, and they're doing their typical thing where uh, both uh, I want to call him Reed. <laughs> His name is Boy, the leader of the team. And Ikea, they both have gas guns, and they're gassing mutants, while Kuno, holding his mace, is just knocking the daylights out of one of these big mutant freaks. And they mop up, and they chase the bad guys off. And they basically, you know, it's once again, they're, they're kind of catching the reader up by lamenting their situation. Man, it sure sucks that Earth nuked itself, and we're stuck living in this shitty, you know, post-apocalyptic wasteland. Man, we've been working really hard lately. Let, let's have us a little vacation. So where do they go? They go to the Florida Keys, and they land in their cool-looking burn spaceship thing. Looks a lot like a Quinjet with a big tail fin on the back. It's actually really cool. And they touch down in this airport, and all of a sudden, um, I thought this was supposed to be a post-apocalyptic story. Um, the only thing that's post-apocalyptic about it, there ain't no people. Everything's fine. The the buildings are fine. There's no you know no overturned cars. Nothing's on fire. There's no melted buildings or mutant freaks or anything. It's like they landed in Miami Airport and everything's just perfectly oh you know hunky dory except there's no people around. And then they get into this really cool looking 
futuristic car, except that this story is clearly set in the mid-70s. So it's like, where the hell did they get this futuristic car from? But it is really nicely designed by Byrne. It looks like one of those really cool futuristic-looking Hot Wheels that were out right around this same time. It's really neat. It's got the big gull-wing door thing that opens up like a DeLorean. So they're tooling around in this. And because everybody's dead, they can pretty much do what they want, go where they want. So they go to, like, the fanciest place in town. Everybody switches into uh, swimming, you know, uh, bathing suit or swimming trunks, including Kuno. So there's a hilarious moment where Kuno the caveman is actually wearing a Speedo and he's all embarrassed. (laughs) So they go swimming, and they have a nice... So are all the men there. <laughs> so, you know, they, they go swimming and, you know, skin diving, and, uh, you know, they have a nice dinner out, and they go dancing, and just all this stuff that they're doing. The, the whole uh, uh, montage scene of them on vacation reminds me very much of the mall scene in Dawn of the Dead where, you know, they're playing in the arcade, and they go out to dinner, and all this stuff. You know, there's a freaking apocalypse going on. And these assholes are just living it up, you know. So finally they decide, well, you know, we kind of got to get back to work a little bit. So Boyd, again, very much doing his Reed Richards thing. He goes back into the lab and I forget what their actual mission is. I don't I don't know if they're supposed to be looking for survivors or if they're just trying to rebuild the world or what's going on. But anyway, he's on the computer and Kuno, who, again, caveman here. He's looking at the machine, and he says something about, uh, he says, Boyard. That's how he says Boyd. He says, Boyard, bug move on, radar. And he's trying to get Boyd's attention, and Boyd's just like, ah, shut up, you're a stupid caveman. So he's not listening to him at all. And Jill gets pissed, and she's kind of taking a shine to Kuno. And she says, Boyd, you know, seriously, there's something on this radar thing. You need to see it, you know. Stop ignoring uh, Kuno. So he goes over and he looks, but there's a, then by that point, there's nothing on the radar anymore. So a little more time goes by, and all of a sudden, uh, Kuno feels a peck on the cheek from something he can't see. He tries to tell the team about it, and they kind of laugh him off, but then one of the girls says something about she felt like she'd been touched by a man. <laughs> but again, she couldn't see him. So they're all looking around. All of a sudden, they get this voice in their head you know, basically saying, hey, don't worry. We're not ghosts. There's nothing supernatural about this. Let me adjust the right frequency. And this dude in a very, um, uh, let's just classify it as a very uh, S&M slash YMCA outfit, kind of materializes out of nowhere. And a minute later, this girl wearing a very much looking like one of the uh, 70s members of the uh, Legion of Superheroes, she pops in out of thin air. And they explain that uh, they're explorers too, very much like, uh, like Boyd and his crew. And they're from an alternate Earth, an Earth of another dimension that exists on a parallel vibrational frequency, occupying the same space and blah, blah, blah. Does this all sound very familiar? And they've come there. Never heard of it. Because they're exploring other worlds. And basically, they want to offer Boyd and his crew, you know, a, a better life. You know, their Earth sucks. It's all been nuked and everything. So why don't they come live on this planet with these, you know... These swinging guys. So they decide that they're going to go over there. As soon as they get there, these guys turn on the asshole. They introduce them to these big mutant monkey freak looking things that are like the um, the enforcers of their society. And they're basically like, all right, well, you know, you're welcome to live here. But if you don't follow every single rule that we want you to follow exactly to the letter, then these big monkey freak dudes are going to beat the shit out of you. 
And so they go along with this for the longest time until finally, <laughs> and it takes them a whole hell of a lot longer than it actually should, until finally, I think it's really Kuno that kind of loses his shit. And he, instead of saying it's clobbering time, his big line in all the issues when he would finally just, you know, ha- he had enough, he would say, Kuno kill! And he would just attack, you know, the, the bad guy. Which he does in this beautiful two-page spread by Byrne. He's, he's just body-slamming the big monkey freak dude. So a big fight breaks out. The, uh, you know, the guys that are, that are not the friendly people that they tried to play themselves off are the alternate Earth people. They, uh, they put up a valiant fight, but at the end of the day, Boyd and his people, they fight their way back to the weird dimensional spaceship thingy, whatever the hell it is, make their way into it, and basically decide, you know what, our Earth sucks, but it's our Earth, and we're here to stay, and that's pretty much the end of the story. It is very, very simple. I mean, it's, it's very black and white. There's vast leaps in logic. Um but it's fun. I mean, the art is fantastic. It is uh, it is early, hungry John Byrne, and uh, it's really nice. And Charlton Comics just always had this really interesting color scheme going on. You know, the, the printing process, as I've heard the story related, they actually used a cereal box printer machine to print their comics on, which, which is what gave their comics the the weird look you know the very distinctive look and the very distinctive colors that charlton comics always had but with this particular series it it actually lends into it having that that bizarre color scheme and everything um it adds into the sci-fi element of everything i love burns art in this it's very much um you know very much a product of its time um his figures are a little bit unnaturally stiff but again you know this is very 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 early john Byrne. you can definitely see him you know learning his craft in this and i love the outfits i love the buildings and stuff it's very uh sci-fi it's very like logan's run is uh, is a lot of the look of it. it it looks a lot it looks like he's borrowing a lot of stuff from uh like legion of superheroes and, and the look of that book right in this era but uh, it, it was—it's a lot of fun, and this is again—it's a series that I would love to see somebody either reimagine this, or or maybe just you know pick it up and, and dust it off and and tell continuing stories. You know what happened to these guys? Because I'm pretty sure that the book just ended. I don't think there was ever any resolution as far as you know what happened, you know, to Doomsday Plus One. You know, I, they were uh, there was it was reprinted a few years ago by um, it was Fantagraphic Books reprinted them in like a deluxe format reprint where there'd be like a couple of issues per per book but i don't even know if they finished reprinting the the entire series or not i'm not sure but they're out there i mean you can find them in the in the you know the really cheap bins and uh, so if you ever do i mean i'd say pick them up just as a as an oddity just as a curiosity they are a lot of fun even though the stories are kind of stupid <laughs> you guys ever read any uh, doomsday plus one no, but I always wanted to because in, in, it, it was like an issue of Amazing Heroes that I was reading. Or was it that comics interview issue that was like nothing but a huge interview with John Byrne where he talks about how he likes being a company man for Marvel and is very happy there and will never, ever leave. <laughs> um, 
I'm sure at the time he meant it. I think um, I know what you're talking about because I think that may have been where I heard of this. Yeah, and, so there was like an ad for it. It was like the art of John Byrne, Doomsday, plus one. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what the hell is that? That looks kind of interesting. Yeah. So, but, I, but, but I'm, I, I'm, I've always been kind of fascinated by, you know, his early beginnings and how closely tied it was to, you know, like he and Roger Stern. Mm-hmm. Uh, were were coming up the fan ranks together, and then both started working for Marvel. So I'm just kind of, I've always wanted to see it, but at the same time, I'm kind of afraid to, because it's like watching a favorite actor in his first, you know, like a, a first role. Like you, you know, you may like Josh Brolin in No Country for Old Men, but then you realize his first role was as the Big Brother in The Goonies, and you're like, wow, <laughs> okay. So and it's nothing against the Goonies. It's just he was not the master thespian at the time. So no, it's. I mean, I don't. I I would. I feel pretty confident saying that I think as a John Byrne fan, and I know that you are. I think you would enjoy this because it, it's not something to look back on and go, "Oh my God, you know, he sure came a long way." It's it's more of looking back and going, "Okay, I like you know this is this is the early stuff." I, you so know, this, you're seeing where it all came from, basically. Yeah. Because I mean, okay. Burns the saving grace on this. It's not the stories. I mean, the concept again. The story, you know, the concept is is actually, you know, except for now, I like Kuno as a character. He actually is a lot of fun, but he's the stupid element of the story. I mean, you're you're already stretching my credibility that you know it's it's three lone astronauts on a world destroyed by nuclear war in the mid seventies. Okay, that's enough. But then you throw in this this you know, revived caveman. And it's like, okay, now you just went in like, what, what the hell is that all about? So, but the concept of it is kind of cool that they're just kind of, you know, traveling around the world, you know, seeing what's left of post nuclear war earth. And so it's, it's, you know, in that, in that vein, it's an interesting concept. It's just nothing was ever, nothing ever terribly exciting comes of it. You know, it's, but, but it was always Burns art that makes this a series worth picking up if you find it, you know, in the 50 cent bin or whatever, because it's just fun to look at. I mean, the art's gorgeous. The fights are always a lot of, I mean, Kuno just knocks the hell out of these guys with his big mace thing. That that's fun. You know, that's worth the price of admission right there just to see him, you know, bashing somebody's brains out with his club. I got a, I got a question though. The, The world they travel to, has it been hit by a nuclear Holocaust? The, the alternate earth? Yeah. No, no. See, their Earth is fine, and that's why they invite Boyd and his crew okay. to come live with them because their Earth is is you know perfectly all right. Okay, so these heroes who are from an Earth that is mostly destroyed, probably killing them slowly day by day of radiation poisoning. Yeah, the radiation's okay. never addressed in this. Yeah. So radiation but, in comics is a good thing. It gives you superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> it's only in the real world that you got to worry about it. So they get to travel to another Earth, overthrow the oppressors, and then say, you know what, we're going to go back to our hunk of ass world, because it's our world. <laughs> That's like getting invited to a mansion out of your, you know, crappy trailer, you know, like single-wide trailer. And, <laughs> you know, the owners are assholes, but you manage to kick them out. You can live there for the rest of your life. But you know what, I'm going to go back to my white trashville, because at <laughs> least it's mine. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> well, at... <laughs> if that were the scenario, then it would be it would be totally like okay, you know. Then it, but what it really is is they they come to the realization that no, you know, I mean, this is a beautiful world, and we could probably be happy here, but these guys are assholes. <laughs> so you know, they just they they actually they kind of fight like I guess what you would classify as like a running gun battle 
all the way back to the the ship that they need okay. to get the hell out of there and go back to their own world. So no, they didn't they didn't take over anything. I mean, if they had taken over the joint, then I don't think there'd be any reason for them to to stick around. You know, I just realized that this dude's outfit totally looks like Spider Man. I didn't even realize that before. This one dude's wearing a bodysuit, right? It's a it's an armless, legless bodysuit, and he's got like a headband and nega bands. But the bodysuit portion of it is all red, and the two white elements on it look like Spider-Man eyes. So he kind of looks like like the Scarlet Spider crossed with, like, Marvel Boy. <laughs> it's really weird looking. The Scarlet Spider <laughs> crossed, crossed with. with Marvel Boy. Yeah. That's actually kind of awesome sounding in all honesty i'll have to see if maybe i can isn't, was... isn't that what they did uh didn't they do something similar to that in the amalgam comics it was like spider-man crossed spider with, boy yeah it was spider-man crossed with superboy yeah <laughs> yeah i'll have but to now, uh i'll have to take i'll have to see if i can get a scan of of just this one character which, put it on like facebook or the forum or something so you can see what he looks like Spider-Boy, which you can hear about in very early issues of Back to the Bins. That's what I was shooting for there. So. I totally don't remember that at all. Did when you were with What's-His-Name. When you were oh, with okay. What's-His-Name, he covered it. Oh, okay, I don't... Pff, I never go back and listen to those old shows. <laughs> well, when you invited me to be on, I thought it would be polite to just, you know, listen to everything that came before <laughs> me. And it was really hard listening to that because nothing against your previous host. Sometimes it drives me nuts when people that are like 10, 15 years younger than me talk about comics from my era and are like, well, why'd they do this? And why'd they do that? That's kind of stupid. And then I realized, wait a second, I do that shit all the time. Yeah, so exactly. I am throwing rocks in my house made of glass. Mm -hmm. You make me feel bad, though, Mike, because when he invited me to be on, I didn't listen to all the back episodes. <laughs> There's no you listen to the ones with me, and that's all that really matters. Actually, I guess I probably started listening around the time when you came on. So I, I guess I did. But Actually, I was kidding on that. I was being arrogant with nothing. Well, I, I, get out, so well, I, I, I heard that Mike Bailey guy was going to join this show. Now it won't suck anymore. I have to start listening to it now. That's not I, true. <laughs> I it was going to suck anyways. Through Michael Bailey. <laughs> I was listening to views from the long box. Oh and, wow! Uh, and and you started talking about Scott, and that's how I found two two true freaks. So, you brought me over, <laughs> whether you like it or not. <laughs> hey, Thanks, and, Mike. And thank, and thank you for admitting that because I get a bonus from Demonzo. They'll <laughs> double your zero salary. <laughs> yes. Anybody, well, no, he'll probably just send another underage Asian girl to be my valet, and I keep telling him I can't. My wife doesn't like this shit. You gotta stop. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the issue a little bit. Just now, I, I don't. I vaguely remember seeing those comics on the stand, but I never read any of them. But I remember, like, early Burn, you know, before he really hit his stride, he was still a good artist even back then. Oh, yeah. He just wasn't as dynamic as he eventually became. But his character models really haven't changed all that much over the years. No, they have not. No, you can definitely see traces of, of some of the other, you know, the later characters that he would work on. Um, in these characters, because every time I look at Kuno, I, I feel like I should be able to say this is who he looks like to to let the listeners know 
this is who he looks like. Because he looks like another character that Byrne drew. But I'm drawing a blank. I'm trying to think, who the hell did Byrne ever draw that, you know, had had a, a full beard and, you know, that looked very Odin-like? Maybe Odin? Hercules? I, you know, Odin. Well, I guess, when did he? When did he ever draw Odin, though? I don't know. I, I don't know of him, but I guarantee you could find it somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure at least one time. But uh, but yeah, I mean, but it, you know, this isn't. You know, it's not all stock faces, but I mean, you can definitely see. You know, the. I mean, you could pick this up and instantly tell. Okay, this is John Byrne, especially um, Jill. You know, she's the one that. You know, if you're going to draw any parallels at all with with this and Burns' later work with you know with certain figures, I mean, Jill is, I mean, she's Jean Grey. I mean, there's no denying it. <laughs> she's she's Jean Grey. Um, I mean, for anybody that's that's listening and is has the ability to follow along at home, if you go to page eleven, the bottom panel, I mean, come on, she's even got the little sash that's not quite across so much across her her waist as it is across her hips, just like Jean Grey. I mean, it's just that the the outfit's colored a different color, but that's definitely Jean from... I think we can agree, though, that Jean never looked as good as when she was drawn by John Byrne. Oh, hell, no question about it. I I mean, and and some very very talented artists worked on her afterwards Mm -hmm. and before. But to me, and, and I hate to say this because it seems like I'm trying to denigrate Dave Cockrum's contribution to that era of X-Men, you can't downplay what Dave Cockrum brought to the X-Men. I mean, it's just, it would be folly. But, you know, to me, when I close my eyes and I think of the X-Men, despite not growing up with it, I think of the Byrne Claremont era and just how everyone looked there is the iconic look of all of those characters for me. I, I don't know if I missed something, but people talk about Byrne's women and they say, oh, they all look the same. He didn't no. really draw women that well. And I don't agree at all. I think I think he drew like really attractive women. And uh, I don't I mean, think I think I don't think Cockrum really did. <laughs> Cockrum's women well, were, you know, didn't have that wholesome beautifulness or beauty rather that uh, that I think yeah. Byrne's women did. To be fair, Byrne does have stock body types. <laughs> But that is not to say that the women that he draws are unattractive. Right. I don't see. I see the two as being mutually exclusive. And he also drew women who looked like real women, as opposed yeah. to you know, Playboy models with you know phony body parts. Yeah, they they, they were they were full figured attractive women. So, I mean, and and Storm did not look like Jean Grey. They were they were two very different looking characters. So, Who yeah, I, I don't quite buy that myself. Now, bringing it all back to uh, to Power Man for a minute. In, in Power <laughs> Man, there was that the that um, girl team that started palling around with him all the time. It was Misty Knight, and who and was Colleen the other? Wing. Colleen Wing. There you go. Yeah, because there's a, a panel in here. Daughters of the Dragon. Fifteen in here where Jill faces off with the woman from the alternate Earth. And this very much looks like Colleen Wing versus Saturn Girl. And it's a great little cat fight where she actually bitch slaps her. It's pretty cool. I'm going to have to try to scan a little bit of this and, and put it up on either Facebook or the forum so if people can see it. Because it, it, it's pretty cool. The part where uh, Kuno holds his... It's not so much Thor's hammer as it's a giant sludgehammer, really. 
he grips it at both ends and uses the the stock of it to jam one of the ape guys in the throat. That's pretty cool. I like. But yeah, the arts uh, the arts fantastic in this. It really is. Sweet. But that's all I got. Well, right. do we do we want to once again say next time we're going to do our big special, only not to do our big special next time? I, I say let's like tease it again, time. and then, then we'll see if we do it or not, because I don't know. I, I'm still slowly working my way through far, that massive read-through. How far through are you, percentage-wise? Three quarters. Okay, I'm, I'm about a quarter. I'm actually through it. Uh, oh, okay. My fear is that I'm going to get stale while I'm waiting for you guys. Oh, no. All right, we'll have to get to it then. I mean, I've I've read the issue I plan to cover for that anyway, so I mean, I'm far enough along that we can we can make an episode out of it, whether I get all nine thousand books read or not. We can definitely go ahead and, and get on it at this point. What about you, Mike? What do you say? Uh, I I will do my best to get through the three quarters I need to uh, get through. <laughs> but um, unless I'm missing. You know, unless, unless we're not connecting on how we're going to do this, except for the three issues that we're going to cover in depth, we're just going to give very brief synopsises of the other ones and just move right on. Yeah, that might be the sticking much. point with me, where I'm I'm thinking, you know, I'm putting too much thought into it, basically, that I have to have everything read and all that. So maybe that's my problem. I'm thinking, you know, if it's not one we're covering and it's not something that stands out to you, you know, we could get by with, you know, a couple of sentences and on to the next one. I think that's fine. Yeah, I think that's the way to do it because, I mean, I've read everything, but, I mean, I didn't take a single note. I just read, you know. I just read for the enjoyment. So it'll be more of, you know, I'd be more interested to discuss them as far as, you know, which ones did we like, which ones did we think were the best, you know, which ones didn't work, you know, that sort of thing as, you know, rather than, you know, note by note specific points because you know that would be like a six hour okay. show. So okay, yeah, because that's what I thought we were kind of doing, <clears throat> and I think that's what's been holding me up. Not that I, not that it doesn't sound like fun. Don't get me wrong; that's not what I'm saying. But it's just uh, sometimes when you come up with a pro, pro, uh, like an idea or you're part of a, a project, it's like it sounds like fun, but then you realize the amount of work involved and it right. And it, it's like sloggy, I guess is the best way to say that. See, that's the last thing I want this show to be is yeah. one of those homework intensive shows. It's it's just supposed to be light, fluffy bullshit fun. So yeah, I don't I don't want to put anything like crazy into this. Well, that's okay. good because that's the way I've kind of been treating this <laughs> one. You know, you've been you've been telling me since I came on board, don't let this bog me down, don't go nuts. And uh, you know, I've read through them all, but I. Really didn't take notes. I just kind of like made some mental notes as to what I thought of the issues. And right, you know, like I said, I'm gonna I'll, there's the one issue I'm covering. I'll have a synopsis ready for that. Uh, but otherwise, I'm just gonna be able to throw you know comment. I thought this was good. I thought this was bad. Whatever. I mean, the, the, as in depth as I want to go on it is is what were the what were our favorite ones? Which ones were our least favorite ones? And you know, particular moments and and you know, little character beats. And that's about it. I mean, I don't I don't plan to go in depth i don't even i'm not going to write any synopsis or anything it's just all right you know it's just sit down and here's the subject go you know well we could go through them chronologically and then as we hit our issues just go into the full right exactly yeah yeah exactly okay that works for me cool so we'll try that next week yeah i'm down all right cool and the listeners are going what the hell are they talking about yeah, you might have to edit this out just because people. Oh, no, this is the best part. Dude. Yeah, I like to ease them, make them suffer. 
well, what's funny is that basically we could make it that we just we just like, oh, were we still recording? <laughs> and make it sound like really stilted and. <laughs> See, I had a thought, and I don't know if you guys agree with this or not. So I'm going to throw it out to you, and if it's really stupid, Scott just edit it out later. Uh, but what I was thinking was maybe, and not to the length, not to the to the size of this one where we're going through a, a lot of books. But I thought since we since there's three of us, we do three things: Marvel, DC, and Independent. Every time we go through a full rotation. I thought it wouldn't be a bad idea to go through, like, almost have a special episode, not yeah. necessarily to this extent. Like, maybe one episode we do Superman versus Muhammad Ali. And instead of having three separate books, we just do one book for the episode. I'm totally down with that. I'm down with doing a special, you know, the special would be one book or, or, you know, like we're doing right now, one concept or something. Like, yeah, I, I'm totally down with that because I like tackling those kind of episodes, too. You know, I mean, and there's focus plenty on of one big thing. books we could do. Yeah, most definitely. And it, like I said, you know, it, it wouldn't be too much of a homework intensive thing if we're going to do just one issue. This one's a homework intensive thing because there's just so many issues involved. Right. I don't know. Like I said, if that sounds like a good idea to you guys, that I thought it might be a good way to go. Definitely, I like that idea. It'd be Did a matter of Mike. I'm good. That sounds oh, okay. great. No, no, I like that because I, I miss the specials. You know, some of the most fun we've had on Back to the Bins or I've had on Back to the Bins is like when we did the second Spider-Man versus Superman and we did it as like, you know, you hit you hear the ding and the next guy does the page. <laughs> uh, made all the, did, did we ever reveal in the episode that um, you guys screwed up with what pages you were supposed to do so you and Chris had to go on the fly with that? I don't know if we did or not. I don't remember. I do remember that happening, but I don't know if we let it, it let it slip during the episode. That is one of the most amazing things that has ever happened in podcasting. I'm not kidding. Because of how... It's not like it's a complicated story, but that's a lot of fucking work to just come off the top of your head with. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you guys did great. I felt bad. <laughs> I think that'd be fun sometime to tackle some book like that. Just pick some book, you know, and, and then go into it. And do it very much DC Challenge style. Like we we go into it having read the material, no prepared synopsis. You don't even know which page you're going to be handed. We just we you know use like a random number generator or something to figure out who goes first, start, and then you go. And then you just you know when that when that guy's done with that page, then it's your turn. You got to go fresh, you know, with no notes or nothing, and and keep it going, you know. And and just I think that could be fun. That could be hilarious, actually. I agree. I think that could be cool. And the other thing about special issues, special episodes, I'm saying special issues. You know, for you guys, it's not as big a deal because you do so many shows. This is it for me. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, occasionally it might be an excuse to have Chris come on or Andy Leyland or, you know, anybody else. Sure. So I like just for idea. me, it lets me, lets me spread it out a little bit more. <laughs> like manure. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. 
Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzocor of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. 